Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Friday, January the 28th, 2022. It is currently 2.26 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Empty Sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church, located right here in Ovalo, Texas. And yes, I was just checking that I did call this the Theology of Conscience Part 4. I thought I had call, uh, I had typed this out as Part 3, which would be incorrect. But no, everything appears to be correct. Welcome, everyone. I know you don't care, but I had to check it because as soon as I went live, I'm like, I... I put I, I put part three, not part four, and this is actually part four as we are looking at the theology of conscience because we are studying the book, The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis, and we have reached book two, chapter six, which is entitled, in my edition of The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis, it is entitled this way, The Joy of a Good Conscience. And Thomas Akempis wrote over 500 years ago, the glory of a good man is the testimony of a good conscience. We believe that's a reference to 2 Corinthians 1.12. Even though my edition say, says 1 Corinthians 1.31, we established that that is completely in error. Then he wrote this, again, Thomas Akempis over 500 years ago, have a good conscience and you shall ever have joy. A good conscience is able to bear much and is very joyful in adversities. An evil conscience is always fearful and restless. Now, this indicates, just from the writing of Thomas Akempis alone, whether you've ever heard anything else, you've just, if you just read that paragraph, you realize there's a good conscience and there's an evil com- conscience. If you have a good one, joy. If you have an evil one, his exact words, you're always going to be fearful and constantly restless. So you want a good one, you don't want a bad one, but clearly a bad one is possible. All right, so this raises, this introduces us, at least in in the imitation of Christ, it introduces us to the concept of conscience. And I believe as a believer, we need to have a correct theology of conscience because I believe too many Christians mentions conscience They base their actions on conscience. They defend their actions because of their conscience. They justify their actions on the behalf of conscience. And I think in many cases, their justifications, they're pointing to conscience, defending themselves as because of conscience indicates more about not only a misuse of the concept of conscience, but a correct, a completely incorrect, I should say, theological understanding of the subject. And I know that I challenge people constantly about this, and many Christians get frustrated with me because they're like, conscience, conscience, conscience. And I'm like, no, no, you're 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 the way you're using conscience and, and describing it to me, I believe is completely theologically incorrect. So here's what we're doing. Because Thomas Akempis obviously was a Catholic monk, if he's mentioning conscience, He's understanding it from a Catholic perspective. And if you'll pick up the Catholic catechism and look at the Catholic teaching on conscience, guess what you'll find? You'll find that the the Catholic teaching of conscience has greatly influenced the non-Catholic understanding of conscience. And that in many cases, even though non-Catholics 
They speak about conscience. They may not use the Catholic language. The Catholic concepts are very much present within the non-Catholic world, and I believe both are wrong. So let me explain. I'm going to summarize. You can go back to part one, part two, part three, but let me summarize. When it comes to conscience, here's what I believe is a biblical understanding. Now, we're going to challenge my view later on, but right now I'm just trying to summarize my view where you at least know where I'm coming from, and then we're going to go right back right here to the Catholic Catechism. I have it right here, and we're going to work through it, and we're trying to see everything they have to say about conscience so that we can try to develop a correct, we're going to look at their view and then challenge it, critique it, and offer a counter view. And so far, here's what I've tried to explain to you. Christians love to say the conscience. Now, everyone would tell you the conscience is located inside of you. The conscience is inside of you. And it gives you that that feeling of what is right or wrong. It either condemns you or it excuses your behavior. And so we look to conscience and we never want to go against conscience. You'll be that we, I'm, we are told that constantly. I think this creates major problems. So let me explain. Anytime I look to something inside of me that is supposed to be condemning me, justifying what I'm doing, excusing what I'm doing, pushing me in a certain direction, and I'm supposed to follow it and lead it, any concept like that is massively problematic from a biblical perspective. And here's the reason why. You know what else is inside of me? Sin. You know what else is inside of me? A heart that's desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. You know what else is inside of me? My fleshly nature, my natural desires. So that means whatever feeling I have is all, is clearly influenced, corrupted, and touched in a sense by all of those other negative things. So looking inwardly, I can never get clarity of thought, clarity of direction, and any real clear moral understanding. Now, I do believe that when we speak of conscience, that I believe it's made up of two concepts. Just stay with me. All of us are created in the image of God. God is a moral being. Therefore, there is a sense of morality built into every person because we are created in the image of God. Now, our our understanding of morality is all messed up because of the fall but we are created in the image of God. So I don't care if they're an atheist. I don't care. I don't care if it's a little kid. Everyone has this inner sense of that's wrong. That's not fair. That's not, even people who reject God outrightly and say God doesn't exist. Listen to them talk. You'll hear them making some kind of moral judgment. They, many atheists, even when they argue against God, will make a moral judgment against God. Well, your God is evil. That's not a loving God. That's that's wrong. Okay, well, now your, 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 your sense of morality is, is showing itself. Where does that sense of morality come from? I believe all that the fact that no matter where you go, every society has this sense of wrong, this sense of right, which demonstrates we are creating the image of God. Now, that's a part of our conscience. We have this inner sense of what's wrong and right. The only problem is it's not accurate. It's corrupted because of sin. I believe there's something else that goes with conscience. God has written his law on our hearts. So we have, in a sense, God's law written there. Now, our understanding of that, it's not perfect, but it gives us a sense that there's wrong and there's right. 
Great. And so what it should do, conscience should move us to go, wait a minute. There's a, there's got to be a source for this wrong and right. Wait a minute. There's got to be, there's got to be, if there's, there's got to be a law and that conscience should drive us to seek the source of that morality, of that law, which is God. And then God reveals that law and that system of morality, not in some inner feeling, but right here, the word of God. So conscience should drive a person to figure out the source of this feeling of wrong and right, which then will lead them to God. And then God will lead us to his word. So then I don't try to follow conscience. Conscience pushes me to God. Once I discover that's the source of this feeling, then I look to scripture, which is outside of myself. And I study and interpret that, not trying to interpret the feeling going, well, is that, is that, because conscience is only, listen, Conscience is only good when it's in conformity to God's word. So don't look to how I feel, look to God's word, because that's the only way to have any certainty. Now, I know this goes against many, I know a lot of people go, You're, you've got it all right. You, 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 look, you, you try to figure out that inner feeling. You just, good luck on trying to figure that out. I don't need to look inwardly. I need to look outside of me because inwardly, there's too many things motivating and pulling in the wrong direction. I, I can't trust anything coming from inside of me. So I've got to look to something outside of me, which is God's word. And then I have to try to allow what's in me not to influence how I interpret that word. Okay, now, the Catholic catechism have come along and they've basically said, hey, conscience, their words, that's the aboriginal vicar of Christ. The conscience is the Pope. You listen to it. You follow it. It's going to lead you in the right direction. Almost ignoring inner depravity, almost ignoring the existence of the flesh. And we've looked at that. The, the, last, the last section... This all starts on page 436 in the Catholic Catechism. And this refers to, uh, okay, I'm sorry, page, yeah, 438. If I said 436, I apologize. 438, this is Article 6 called Moral Conscience. And then uh, the first section is the Judgment of Conscience, where we learn that the conscience is the aboriginal vicar of Christ. The original pope is the conscience almost as if it's an infallible guide. It's an, it's an infallible morality, which I just completely reject. And then that, that section ends, um, let's see here, what, with paragraph 1782. Yes, 1782, which says, man has the right to act in conscience and freedom so as personally to make moral decisions. He must not be forced to act contrary to his conscience, nor must he be prevented from acting according to his conscience, especially in religious matters. Now, this brings up, now we talked about this in the last episode, so I don't have a lot of time to review this. I, when Christians say, well, see, they're trying to make me go against my conscience. Now that's, so because they're trying to make you go against something you don't feel inwardly, Christians immediately go, well, then I should not have to follow it and I should be able to rebel. It's not about an inner feeling. It's about, no, are they making you go against scripture? Not conscience. Because you can't, 
You can't because then a young person can say, well, mom and dad, your rules are making are going against my conscience. So I don't have to obey your rules. You'd say, absolutely not. My teenager cannot say that. But you can say that to anybody else. Like if that's the rule, anytime someone tells you to do something and you're like, well, you're going, it's going against my conscience, then you can just throw out any rule that supposedly goes against your conscience because your conscience almost is now viewed as an infallible Pope sitting upon the throne of your life, which is just to me completely contrary to the doctrine of total depravity, right? So that's the judgment of conscience. Now we turn the page to to, uh, page 440. And paragraph 1783, and this begins a section called the formation of conscience. Now, this is a big thing in Catholic theology, the formation of conscience. In other words, if you're going to have a conscience, it's got to be formed correctly, which is weird because if I, why do I need the formation of conscience if the conscience is the original aboriginal, or as their words, the aboriginal vicar of Christ? So like, it's there, I can trust it, I should follow it. I should never be uh, forced to go against it. However, comma, it needs to be properly, it needs proper formation. That, that immediately raises all kinds of questions, but let's see what they say about the formation of conscience. Paragraph 1783 of the Catholic Catechism. Here we go. Conscience must be informed and moral judgment enlightened. So, hey, if you're going to go with your conscience, it's got to be informed. So do you have an informed conscience? Well, well what, what's it? Now, if, I, if the conscience is only good as its formation, what's the source of its formation? Because then why wouldn't I just look to the very thing that forms my conscience instead of looking to my conscience? It doesn't make any sense. A well-informed conscience, or well-formed, I should say, a well-formed conscience is upright and truthful. So you see, once you you get your conscience well-formed, it is upright and it is truthful. In other words, you can always trust your conscience. See, this is such a, it's almost ingrained in many Christians' mind. You can always trust your conscience. That's a Catholic teaching and I reject it. No, I can't always trust my conscience because where is my conscience? It's inside of me. Not only that, I can only trust it if it's well-formed. Well, how do I know if it's (laughs) well-formed? Now I'm relying on, well, my conscience is seemingly telling me that I can't do this or I shouldn't do this. I I can't do it because I know that my conscience has been well-formed. How? Why would you trust that your conscience is well-formed? How about this? What's the source of forming my conscience? Is it God's word? Then you know what? Instead of looking inwardly, I'm going to look in the pages of God's word and determine what I should and shouldn't do. It, it, I, this is so subjective that I think here's the problem, but let's continue. It formulates its judgments according to reason in conformity with the true goodwill by the wisdom of the creator. So, Conscience formulates its judgment according to reason in conformity with the true good willed by the wisdom of the creator. All right, so let's say conformity, or let's say conscience forms its judgment 
based on conformity to the wisdom of the creator. Let's say that's true, all right? Well, the wisdom of the creator is found in God's word. And no matter how much I study God's word, that wisdom doesn't always guide my internal conscience because my conscience is going to constantly be pulled in different directions by the internal reality of sin. So I can't look inwardly. I look to the, the wisdom of the creator found in God's word. I don't know why, why they would, it's almost like, just forget your Bible, focus on your conscience. No, 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 no. Focus on your Bible and forget your conscience. Let's see where else they go with this. The education of conscience is indispensable for human beings who are subjected to negative influences and tempted by sin to prefer their own judgment and to reject authoritative teachings. Now, I will argue, and or I, w- I will agree, that the, the formation of the conscience is, as they say, their words, indispensable. I agree. Why? Because I need as much help inwardly to keep me going in the right direction, to convince, I need all the help I can get inwardly to fight off temptation and to fight off everything. But the only, but please know, I want to train it. I want it to be a source of trying to move me in the right direction, but it can never be completely trusted. So I need to formulate my, I need to for, uh, form my conscience, equip my conscience through memorizing scripture, looking to scripture, studying scripture, meditating on scripture day and night. That will strengthen my conscience, which can be assist me with temptation. But it, this, is, this is almost like, hey, you get your conscience right, and then all you've got to do is just listen to your conscience. But I'm saying no matter how right my conscience is, it's not the it's not the pope an infallible pope it's fallible at best because it's inside of me paragraph 1784 the education of conscience is a lifelong task now just stop right there so that means no matter how how well formed your conscience is today it's not completely well formed it's not completed and its formation, because it's a lifelong task in educating your conscience. So that means no matter how well-formed you think your conscience is today, you cannot completely trust it because it's a lifelong task in educating it. So right there just shows you it's not reliable. (laughs) From the earliest years, from the earliest years, it awakens the child to the knowledge and practice of the interior law recognized by conscience. Prudent education teaches virtue. It prevents or cures fear, selfishness, and pride, resentment arising from guilt and feelings of complacency, born of human weakness and faults. The education of the conscience guarantees freedom and engenders peace of heart. Now this is, that paragraph right there, paragraph 1784, if you want to understand the uh, chapter, let me go here. If you want to understand chapter six of the Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis in book two, you need that paragraph because he's saying that if you if you really formulate and get a good conscience, 
That's going to give you peace of heart. It's going to give you freedom. It's going to remove unnecessary guilt. It's going to, it's going to overcome all of these things. So you've guys got to fix your conscience. Well, you can try to fit. I've got no problem. Anything that I can do and studying God's word, memorizing God's word, loving God's word, meditating on God's word, that strengthens the conscience. I do believe it can be assist and help me in my Christian life because now I'm formulating something inside of me to, to be more in line with God's word. But I don't look to the conscience to decide, is this right or wrong? I don't look into the conscience to determine, should I do this or shouldn't I do this? No, I look to the very source That is the thing that formulates and forms and educates the conscience. Think of it this way. If I walk into a a, a classroom, just think of it this way, and I've got a math problem, I could ask the students who've been learning math for the possible answer. Maybe they will get it right, but you know that none of them are infallible. You know they're all fallible right? But if sitting at the front of the school classroom is a book, is the math book that has the formula, has the answer, has the explanation, and everything in that math book is perfectly correct, I'm not going to walk in and ask the students who may or may not get it right. I'm just going to go to the book and go, that's the answer. Well, I'm not going to look to something inside of me that may not be even formally, for uh, not even fully educated or fully formed when I can just look to the infallible word of God and go, this is what I should do. This is right. And this is wrong. But they're saying, you know, you got to get, you got to get the conscience right. And then boom, see, it's going to prevent, it's going to prevent, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to prevent or cure fear. It's going to fix selfishness and pride. It's going to remove resentment arising from guilt. It's going to get rid of, rid of feelings of complacency. See, oh, conscience is going to fix everything. Well, it, 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 maybe it will help fix everything. It's not going to fix everything perfectly, unless you're saying that now if I have a well-formed conscience, I can be perfect. Nobody believes that. 1785. And the formation of conscience, the word of God, is the light for our path. Ding, 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 ding. Exactly. <laughs> so while I'm trying to form my conscience, I have to look to God's word. Exactly. So whenever I'm in a situation, I don't turn back to my conscience. I go back to the very source that is the thing that forms the conscience, which is the word of God. We must assimilate it in faith and prayer and put it into practice. So we must take God's word, assimilate it in faith and prayer, and we must put it into practice. We must also examine our conscience before the Lord's cross. We we are assisted by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, added by the witness or advice of others, and guided by the authoritative teaching of the church. Now, for them, they're like, okay, you have your conscience, but you've got to take it before the Lord's cross. You've got to also rely on the Holy Spirit inside of you. What else do you have to do here? Um, and then you've got to listen to the authoritative teaching of the church. So I guess the, author- the authoritative teaching of the church, can it, what if the conscience and the authoritative teaching of the church don't agree? I would assume the authoritative teaching of the church would win out. Well, then why even listen to conscience in the first place? 
It's so this weird, like when Christians talk about conscience, it's really this weird contradictory thing. They're like, the word of God, it is the authority. It is the guide. It is a lamp. It is a light. It is our food. It is the word of God. It's the rock we stand on. It is God's word, God's word, God's word. And then you'll hear a Christian going, well, you know what? They're telling me I have to do this, but my conscience says, that goes against my conscience. So I'm just going to not do that. I'm like, well, wait a minute. Why are you listening to your conscience all of a sudden? What is God's word? How would God's word guide you in this situation? Well, I don't really know if there's a clear scripture. So you're going to go with the the fact that scripture may not be clear on the subject and you're going to rely to the uncertainty of conscience that lies within you, which is being touched and influenced by your emotions, your feelings, your depravity. Like you're going to, you're going to, you're going to set down the light of God's word for the uh, the darkness of your inner feeling, that just seems absurd to me. It, I, I don't get the whole, I don't know why there's so much like conscience, conscience, conscience. Yes, conscience is something I formulate as an assistance, as an assistant to me living out my Christian life. The better I form my conscience, right? The better off I have an inward source to move me towards the word of God and the things of God. So I'm all for that. It's important. It's just not the source of direction of information. It's something that I want to form to help me. Everybody looks at it like, well, if conscience says no, don't do it. And I, I'm just, I, uh, yeah, I, I, I just disagree with that. All right. To choose and accord with conscience. So that's the formation of conscience, all right? So we just read paragraph 1783, 1784, 1785. Now we come to section three, to choose in accordance with conscience. This is paragraph 1786. Faced with a moral choice, conscience can make either a right judgment and accordance with reason and the divine law, or on the contrary, an erroneous judgment that departs from them. All right, so listen to your conscience, but just realize your conscience could make a choice that actually goes against God's law. <laughs> Can be an erroneous judgment. Well, wait a minute. Then why would I make any judgment based off conscience if conscience may actually lead me in an erroneous way? I, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I don't even understand the ca- the Catholic teaching. Hey. Conscience is the aboriginal vicar of Christ. It's the original Pope. But just realize this. When you're facing a moral choice, conscience may make either a right judgment in accordance with reason and the divine law, or that same conscience may choose on the contrary uh, of God's law and of reason and may lead to an erroneous judgment that departs from God's word and reason. Well, then that means I can never trust conscience if at any time it could actually lead me away from God's word. Why? Why do we? I don't. I'm I'm, I'm just where did all of these ideas of conscience arise? It just seems so weird. It's like conscience, 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 conscience. Don't go against your conscience, 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 conscience. And it's like I'm I don't get it. Next paragraph, 1787. 
Man is sometimes confronted by situations that make moral judgments less assured and decisions difficult. But he must always seriously seek what is right and good and discern the will of God expressed in divine law. Oh, I am shocked. So even the Catholic Catechism says, hey, there's times you're going to find yourself facing some very difficult moral decisions. You must always, as their exact words, seek what is right and good and discern the will of God expressed in the divine law. Now, if they try to argue the divine law written inside of you, no, you don't look to there. You look to the divine law written right here in God's word. Now, yes, if your conscience is well formed with God's word, when you decide to go with God's word, you should have an inward motivation to go in that direction and to motivate you to go in that direction. Paragraph 1788. To this purpose, man strives to interpret the data of experience and the signs of the times assisted by the virtue of prudence, by the advice of competent people, and by the help of the Holy Spirit and his gifts. I think that's ridiculous. So, So to this purpose, man strives to interpret the data of experience. So I try to take my experience right? And I try to interpret that experience and the signs of the times assisted by virtue of prudence, by advice of competent people, and by the help of the Holy Spirit and his gifts. Well, that's a lot of things that's going to try to help me to interpret things. Or I open up God's word. Because everything else, look, the Bible says that God's word is inspired. It's infallible. Not everything else is questionable counsel of other people. I'm not saying never listen to other people, but you listen to other people in regards to what they have to say about God's word. (laughs) They go on to say this. Some rules apply in every case. So when you're in a situation, you don't know what to do. This is paragraph 1789. Here are the rules that apply in every single case. Let's see what these rules are. According to them, this is according to the Catholic catechism. Here are the rules. One may never do evil so that good may result from it. One may never do evil so that good may result from it. So this is the idea that the end, the uh, ends doesn't justify the means, right? In other words, if the end is good, that doesn't justify the means of doing evil. You can't do evil uh, uh, so that good may result from it. You, you can't do that. They're saying that's just a, a, a basic ground rule. rule. And they... Um, Let's see here. Okay, I thought they were going to uh, give a scripture reference, but they do not. The next one, the golden rule. Whatever you wish that men would do to you, do so to them. They give, uh, well, scripture, Matthew seven twelve, Luke six thirty one. All right, well, okay, well, that's scripture. I don't need to look to conscience. I look to scripture. So they're like, okay, here's conscience, but always remember You can never do evil so that good may result and that you must always, uh, whatever you wish that men would do to you, you do to them. You remember the golden rule, right? So so I need these rules to formulate my conscience. Well, then why would I look to my conscience when I could just look to these rules? 
I, I'm not understanding. You, you got to get these rules in your conscience. No, I get these rules in my head. <laughs> now, I want my conscience to know these rules to help me motivate me to follow these rules. But most importantly, not these rules. I need scripture. Well, one of them is clear scripture. The other one you could argue could be brought forth from scripture. All right, next. Charity always proceeds by way of respect for one's neighbor and his conscience. The, the sinning against your brethren and wounding their conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, it is right, it is right not to do anything that makes your brother stumble. And then they've got a bunch of scriptures here. So the bottom line is, what do we need to do? We need to love others. And when if we love others, we'll place others before ourselves and we'll do nothing that would cause them to stumble. Those are all, that's all scriptural principles. Now I need those scriptural principles to inform my conscience so that my conscience would motivate me to act in accordance with those principles. But I don't look to conscience. I look to scripture. So just take take all of this into consideration, all right? So there was all kinds of controversy in, in 2022 and 2021, ever since the pandemic has started. How, as a Christian, should we act? What I heard Christians is arguing, I can't go against my conscience. I can't go against my conscience. I can't go against my conscience. And I kept saying, hey, hey, wait a minute. Stop throwing your conscience in my face. What does scripture tell you to do? Well, let's let's go through some basic rule. So I tried at the very beginning of the pandemic to say, here's your COVID toolkit. And I gave everyone scriptures, right? So here's some basic scriptures. Let's, let's see if this makes any sense. Let's see. Let's go through this. Oh, love others as you love yourself. Love even your enemies, all right? So if I love others, then I'm gonna, ever, all of my actions in the middle of the pandemic should be directed at doing what I can to help others, to benefit others. The Bible says to put others before yourself. Okay, so immediately it's about loving people and putting others before me. So what can I do in the middle of a pandemic where I can put others before me and I'm demonstrating love to others? Not love to self, not love of the constitution, not love of my own personal rights, but love of others. Now, what I heard, what I kept hearing Christians like, my rights, my rights, my rights, my rights. We need to have a church service. We need, it's all about what we, 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 what we need to do. Now, now we would cover it in a thin layer of self-righteousness and say, well, no, 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 no. We've got to do what God tells us to do. Okay, well, what about all those other things God tells you to do? Love others. Love even your enemy. Put others before you. Oh, the Bible says, do nothing through strife and vain glory. Live peaceably with all men as much as possible. Oh, where, 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 where's any of that? So we're in the middle of a pandemic. There's all these issues developing. All right, so what can I do? Well, how can I show love to other people? Well, I don't want to do anything that I would possibly infect another person with a virus that depending on their health may place them in a hospital, put them on a ventilator or kill them. I don't want to be the one doing that. That wouldn't be love for other people. Because the Bible would tell me as a Christian that I am pro-life, that I believe in the sanctity of life. So I want to preserve life in the middle of a pandemic. These are like basic principles that I don't have to look to my conscience. So what can I do? What can I do to help protect people? 
Wait, forget what the federal government is saying. If your local government or your local hospitals are like, hey, we're overwhelmed right now. We can't get any more people in, in, in the ICU beds. So we may have to start rationing care or we may have to turn people away. Well, the last thing I would want to do is either maybe the cause that someone else needs to go to the hospital to take up another hospital bed that could prevent someone else from getting care, or I don't want to find myself there because then I would be getting the care that someone else may may need, which could harm them. So I want to do everything I can not to, to lead any more people to the hospital. So what can I do? These are basic rules. These are just basic rules that a Christian can follow. That I need to treat others the way I want to be treated. That I need to not be a stumbling block. I don't need to be running around yelling and screaming in a way that could actually make people go, man, those Christians are sure not very helpful. So I got to think at how other people may perceive my actions. I mean, like I, I can just go on and on and on and on. The, then, then the whole idea where well, the Bible does talk about submission to government, even though you may want to rewrite those verses, it does at least talk about it to some level. They're, they're, like that's your toolkit. That's, and the only thing I could get is, Forsake not the assembly. Forsake not the assembly. We must have a church service. I don't care if people are dying. We have to have a church service because a church service trumps people dying. We, 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 we. It's all about us. And and not only that, not only must we have a church service, we have to have a church service and not even be willing to try to have that church service in a way that would still be able to show love to others, demonstrate, not cause others to stumble, still try to do our best to, to, to live peaceably with other people and, and try to still obey the civil authority as much as possible. No, 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 no. We couldn't even do that. We're like, we're not going to follow one of your rules. Conscience, 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 conscience. You know, while we were yelling conscience, what we should have been yelling, my will, my will, my wants, my thoughts, my attitude. Because what we were pushing forth as conscience was nothing more than pushing forth our own self-centered, our own self-centeredness, our own narcissistic desire to do what we want and a rebellious spirit not to follow any rules. And we put ourselves before everyone else focusing on our rights at the expense of anybody else. That's what the church did. And tried to cover it or describe those actions as we're following conscience. That's, That's garbage. I don't need to look for some conscience. And what about, what about anybody else's conscience? Because what I kept hearing is if someone else's conscience said, well, you know, my conscience says I probably, we shouldn't do this and we shouldn't do that. Then it'd be like, you're living in fear. You're living in fear. You're ungodly. And all of a sudden now you're the fearful one and you're ungodly because you're trying to do these other things. So, so then what well, my conscience became irrelevant. So in other words, if someone else's conscience was, mm, I don't think we should do that. Well, which is right. Well, then, that, then all of a sudden, guess what they would do? Forsake not the assembly. If you don't come to church because you're living in fear, you're not right with God. Well, whoa, wait a minute. What, what about my conscience? No, well, conscience doesn't matter if God's word is clear. Well, God's word is clear in how you treat other people. Like, you see, it just becomes a subjective relativistic mess 
And that's what the church demonstrated during a pandemic. There was no moral clarity. There was not even moral unity. There wasn't even certainty. It was just every man for themselves doing what was right in their own eyes. But we all had an ace up our sleeve. Conscience. Boom. There we go. I played the conscience card. The conscience card, in, 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 in my estimation, many Christians use the conscience card as nothing more than a get-out-of-free-jail card that they they picked up the idea from playing Monopoly. Oh, you'll, no, I'm not going to jail. Uh, conscience, conscience, I can't do that. You can't make me go against conscience. Conscience. Don't care about people dying. Don't care about a pandemic. It's not real anyway. Don't care about truth. Like, okay, that's why I think we need to talk about conscience because I've seen the church use conscience almost as an excuse to do what is right in their own eyes. And even the Catholic church acknowledges, even the Catholic church acknowledges that conscience can lead you in the wrong direction. And then they, to help you with conscience, they list clear rules that you have to follow. Never do evil so that good may supposedly result from it. Whatever you wish that men would do to you, you do to them. And then love, love others. Don't cause anyone else to stumble. Put others before yourself. We'll stop right there. I know that's going to make me super popular, but if you get mad at me, I'll just say, well, you can't go against my conscience. I'll just tell you my conscience makes me think this way and you can't judge my conscience. You can't go against my conscience. I mean, I guess everyone can just say, well, my conscience doesn't condemn me, so you can't condemn me. Is, 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 is that what it turns into? No, I, no. The, the, whole under, the whole way people speak of it to me is so fraudulent that it is, there, there's too many problems with it. All right, but I'll stop right there. You can email me your disagreement, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Next, uh, we will move to the erroneous judgment. That's the next part of this uh, uh, discussion on conscience. That will take us from paragraph 1790 to 1794, and then we're done. So we only have a few paragraphs left, and then we'll set down the catechism. We'll go back to the imitation of Christ by Thomas Kempis and see what, he, what else he has to say in regards to conscience. He, he may do very little about the discussion of conscience, but we had to stop so that at least we can understand some of the ideas and where he co- he's coming from. All right, And to try to fix all the wrong understanding of conscience that I hear just Christians constantly putting forth that drives me absolutely crazy. All right, I'll stop right there. Everyone have a great day. I'll be back on the air here shortly. God bless.